show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Uh, I guess Happy New Year is, is in order. One of my resolutions was to have more frequent podcasts coming at you. I get a lot of great feedback from the listeners, which I certainly uh, appreciate. And uh, so the goal for this year is to have more podcasts coming your way. I guess I would call that a resolution fail as it's the 19th of January and this is my first podcast for the year. But uh, anyway, busy as always and I definitely have some, some plans to be more consistent with the podcast. I appreciate you guys listening and be sure to keep the questions coming. It gives me topics and ideas to talk about. And obviously, I'll try to answer your questions uh, as often as I can. I have actually a lot of good good podcasts on cue. I have some great topics that I want to get into. But I have a, a unique opportunity to have a special guest on for this episode. So we're going to jump into that. It may run a little bit long today, but we got a lot of good information you want to cover. We're actually here at the Florida State Championship as I speak. It's uh, Thursday the 19th. The match starts tomorrow. So it's been a busy week as always, getting the match ready. Uh, and we're staff day starts in the morning, and we're pretty much ready to go. So we broke away for a second and cracked a cold yingling and going to try to bust out a podcast while I have the opportunity to have my, uh, have my buddy here. A uh, special guest today is a good friend of mine, a longtime shooting buddy, Dan Bernard. He's the range master for the match this weekend and uh, has worked a lot of matches for me for I don't know how many years now, and we've worked a lot of matches together. So I'm going to let him give a little intro on himself and uh, a little bit of it about his background, and, and then we've got some questions, and we'll, we'll jump into it. So welcome, Dan. Tell the folks about you. Hey, thanks, Shannon. So uh, uh, as Shannon says, I'm Dan Bernard. I'm the discipline director for Action Pistol, uh, co-discipline director with uh, Mark Walker at the Wyman Antelope Club in, in Clearwater, Florida. That club runs a lot of Action Pistol, not just USPSA, but IDPA, Steel Challenge. We have a, a single action shooting society, the Cowboy Action. So there's a lot, a lot of different shooting uh, sports going on there. Um, as you said, I've been, I've been shooting for about eight or nine years now and officiating for about the same amount of time. Within our discipline, within the, the, the WAC Action Pistol discipline, um, we run two practice matches every week, a weeknight match every Tuesday, every Friday. And then we have monthly matches, USPSA, monthly IDPA matches, monthly steel challenge matches. And there's about 50 um, red hat, that is, discipline ROs that are uh, basically uh, empowered by us to, to, to help us run the matches as, as match directors and, and ROs. Um, the, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to that. I mean, it, it, it inevitably, you end up not just shooting, you end up officiating, but I find myself in the role of training and coaching uh, match officials, not just not just officiating. How did you How did you get into shooting? I I I was in the military and shot, but didn't really do it for fun. And then after being out for about ten years, I started shooting just on a flat range, just kind of a, a, a new interest. And that got boring after about six months. And then I I really I saw a an ad for IDPA match on, on the internet. And I went and shot, or, my, shot my first IDPA match. And, you know, it's just one of those things where it was, I was stunned and amazed thinking how fun that was to shoot an action match where you're, you're, you're literally not just standing still shooting paper targets, but you're running, you're being, you're competing against other people, you're competing against yourself. And, and uh, I shot that match in August or September and then shot the monster match the following October. Hmm. So I kind of jumped in. 
not counting local stuff because I know Wyoming does a, a shit ton of local matches or you know local level weeknight and week weekend matches. So not counting local stuff, how many? Assuming you don't work every match that you shoot, uh, how many big matches a year, you know, section level or above, roughly, uh, do you shoot versus? And then how many do you work a year? So, so uh, the working part at, at WAC, we, we run two level two matches a year, the factory gun match in December and the Doc Walt Memorial match in, in, uh, in June. Those are both level two matches. I, end up, I, I started as a match director on, on the Doc Walt match, and now Mark ends up as the match director, and I am the RM for both those matches. And then out here, I end up usually uh, level two, uh, the, the state match, and then the unofficial uh, monster match every year. So it's like four big matches I work as the, as the range master. And then I try to work the nationals as often as I can. I don't shoot the net or work the nationals as much as many people do. And part of it is just the time away from work and that sort of thing. So for those of you that are probably not aware, Dan is a newly minted official range master, uh, probably the newest, I would assume, but I don't know that to be fact. And uh, although he's range mastered many matches for me and I'm a I'm a big guy that education does not equal competence and vice versa, but why did you decide to, even, you know, you've been working as a range master very competently for years and could have continued to do so for the, especially for the level of matches that you just talked about that you work. So why did you decide to, to jump in with both feet and go through all the BS required to become a real range master? Well, I'm not sure that uh, NRI would call it BS. Uh, it, it, sorry, sorry, sorry. Quali <laughs> quality educational advancement. But uh, some of it's just credibility, right? I mean, it, if, if you're doing the job, if you're doing the task, um, you do want to you do want to um, be certified for it if possible. I mean, it's just this, you could ask the same thing of anybody that works at local matches as a as an RO but doesn't take the level one class to get certified. There's there's value in getting certified. I did learn stuff in the range master course that I didn't know, and uh, after I had been range mastering for years, I mean, there's 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 value in the education. But honestly, uh, for me, a big part of it was just the credibility thing. The the Certification and credibility of, if you're doing the work, um, uh, show up and be essentially licensed to do the work. Dan and I have a somewhat similar background, although not really uh, military-wise, but we're both, both prior military dudes, infantry guys. And I notice or find that, you know, I think of it a lot in terms of hierarchy, rank structure, um, uh, you know, division of duties, and et cetera, in terms of running a match. From a master director standpoint, uh, do you find that that experience uh, assists you, and or do you find correlations between, you know, running the show as a range master and, and some of your military experience? Absolutely. I, I want to caveat that by saying that that it's not a what we're doing with action shooting is not a paramilitary thing, and, and we're not trying to be uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, fake soldiers or anything like no, that. No, true. I just meant from from a but, in charge standpoint. But but not just in charge. But it, I, I think from a, my military background of Sometimes you have to suck it up and do what you're told. Uh, sometimes uh, you might not agree with the rule, but that's the rule. I mean, it, you learn that in the military about day one or two if, if you're slow. Um, the other thing that, that I think that we share in the military is both the organizations we came from were volunteer organizations. And there's a, there's a difference between working with volunteers and working with people that are, are forced to be there. And so when you think about military background and what we do with the match officiation for the action, action sports, it's you're getting a whole bunch of people that are volunteering to be there to enforce and practice a fairly strict set of standards. 
Uh, that doesn't apply directly to all the military, but it certainly applies to the, the, the military world that you and I came from. Yeah, that's good. Good point. Uh, so I don't know where there is to go or if you've even thought about it, but having just become range master, do you have any goals or thoughts or um, direction in the sport? Not from a shooting standpoint, but from a from a uh, match official standpoint and, you know, what you want to do with it. Do you, was it just for the education to, um, you know, to have the have the title and continue to run the matches that you run uh, efficiently or – you looking for for bigger matches, something different? Well, clearly, you know, I'm, I'm glad working the bigger matches. I've, I've worked, I've worked the nationals. Um, I'm going to work the nationals here uh, uh, again. For me personally, though, I think if I had the time, I would really like to be a range officer instructor. There's not very many of those guys, they, and it's a it's sort of a tough uh, job that they do where. They travel on, on weekends and go teach the uh, level one and level two RO classes, and then they mentor people taking the, the RM classes. So the USPSA NROI crowd, I think there's like eight instructors total. Um, so those guys are pretty busy. And I, I say I'd like to do it, but I can't imagine taking that on, the, the amount of weekends that those guys have to spend on the road doing it. But at, at some point, assuming I'm ever able to, to uh, retire from the, the, the paying job, I would like to be an NRI instructor. Cool. Well, that's kind of the, the intro questions that I had. The one of the reasons I wanted to have, have Dan on here is even though we're we're buddies, we hang out a lot, and we talk about a lot of this stuff anyway. Uh, he's been here since uh, seven seven thirty this morning. We've been hanging targets and doing walkthroughs and indexing and getting ready for the match to start tomorrow. So we BS a lot about a lot of these topics. But I thought it'd be interesting for the listeners in the difference between match director and range master. I you know I have a lot of experience as match director. I've uh, very close to zero experience as a range master. And uh, I've been in, you know, pissing matches with range masters before as a match director, not as a shooter, but as a match director because I see, you know, one way I want my match to go or, or one way I want the rule to fall. And, you know, their job is to, you know, uphold the rules. And we get into, we get into pissing matches from time to time. Um, I started to say one of my faults, but I don't really think it's a fault, but... One of my philosophies is I'm I'm probably too lax on on uh, officiating on rules, and it's you know it, it's an admitted again I don't think it's a flaw but I guess you could say it's an admitted flaw but uh, the you know the, the military organization I came from we had a we had a, a saying or a, or a motto called sua sponte and it it means basically you do what the hell you want to do and that's you know that's always been the way I've interpreted rules so I. I I uh, admittedly, you know, interpret rules the way I think they ought to be ought to be laid out, the way I think they ought to be interpreted. And I'm certainly not a range master. Uh, hell, I'm not even RO as we speak. So, you know, that's why we need officials. And having that that juxtaposition—that's a big word for a West Virginia guy—but um, is is what these guys are here for. And you know, somebody's got to be the black and white guy, even though um, you know they may or may not agree with the rule, and then. You step up to the range master, and they're the ones that that read in between the lines. They're they're kind of the gray guys. So you know, there's not a uh, there's not a rule for everything, and that's what the range master kind of does. And in my opinion, is you know they make calls when there's when there's questions. Uh, so I, I I know you've worked again. You're a new range master, but you've worked plenty of range master matches as range master. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of dealing with match directors and and dicks like me that don't necessarily agree with everything you say all the time? 
Well, it's it's a. Uh... You know, the way it's laid out in the rule book, and, and I say the rule book, we're, we're talking in the, in the context of USPSA, and I think it does apply to IDPA, and as far as I know, it happens with other disciplines. Um, I, see, I see my role as a range master is supporting the match director and having a, a uh, fun, safe, uh, fair match, but I'm also sort of an agent for the certifying organization, uh, USPSA. So I, I see myself as a range master working for the match director, but also as being the the representative of the higher organization. Now, having said that, many of the other things that you talk about, I, I, I strongly agree with, of, of trying to look at the rules in such a way that, that uh, um, we're trying to use the rules to keep people in the match as opposed to use rules to kick people out of the match. Um, I know that there are, I hear horror stories all the time. I don't try to instill it in the, in the, the, the ROs that, that I help develop. But there's guys that really are just out to DQ people. There's guys that are really out to try to do the gotcha thing. That's not the philosophy of uh, NROI. That's not the philosophy of anybody that, that I know. Um, so uh, I'm not sure I'm answering the question the right way, but, but I see the, the range master as being subordinate to the match director, yet representing the higher organization, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that actually jumps right into my next my next topic because now I'm – switching hats as a professional shooter and, and a competitor who's, who's as competitive or more competitive than anybody will, that will be out there. And, and I see that a lot. And I, again, I'm in a weird spot because I run universal shooting Academy. I, I run, I run competitions as mass director for a living. Um, I also, you know, shoot on the national circuit for a living. So it puts me in a weird spot when I'm getting ready to sit here and bust out officials and God bless all these officials that come and volunteer their time to work for me. So don't, Hopefully this doesn't come come across the wrong way. I love these guys and they're volunteering and gals and they're volunteering their time, uh, their their money and their time. Yeah, they may get a little per diem or or something for a match, but they ain't making money on it as we all know. They're doing it because they love the sport. So I, I, we certainly certainly appreciate their help. However, I see the same thing. I've you know I've seen officials that in my opinion are looking just for that. They you know I don't know if they get their jollies off or or you know what their motivation is behind it, but and maybe it's back to my, my sua sponte, lackadaisical philosophy. But again, I'm, when, I, when I work as an official, when I work as a range officer, the last thing I'm doing is, is looking for uh, an opportunity to disqualify someone for something. And I, I think I see that uh, a lot. I wanted to lead, in, lead into you on this one for a little bit. I'll tell the story first. But uh, you alluded to it with you know, trying to use the rule book to keep the competitor in the match or to assist the competitor not screw them, and that's that's what I see the the inverse a lot. Uh, and maybe you know I've been shooting for twenty years, so maybe maybe it was everybody talks about back in the day. Uh, maybe there was, there was more of that air quote us against them, um, us versus them mentality then, as there is now. Um, maybe there wasn't. I, you know I don't know. I've, I've been shooting a long time. I think I think it's definitely better now. But I've also changed roles a lot. You know now I'm, I'm much more involved in the sport. I'm, I'm doing it full-time, so I'm, I'm, I'm around it much more often. There was a, a, a baseball umpire, oh, hell, it's been uh, five years ago, six years ago now. Uh, there was a kid who was uh, in the, on the middle of a no-hitter. I don't remember the exact time. It was eighth inning, ninth inning, something like that. But it was getting towards the end. And there was a ground ball hit, play at first base. Uh, umpire calls the guy safe, which blew this kid's no-hitter. And 
Uh, maybe this is even before instant replay because I think they have instant replay in baseball now, although I'm not a huge baseball guy. But when they showed it on the on the video, the the runner was clearly out, and which would have preserved the guy's no hitter. Well, I, the the important part of the story is I saw this umpire interviewed on ESPN or, or something uh, a day later or two days later, and he was literally in tears, literally crying on, on TV. And you know, one, something he said that stuck with me, you know, is he said something to the effect of, you know, as an official, I'm supposed to be in the background. I'm not supposed to be the story. I'm supposed to be here to make the calls and keep my mouth shut. And, you know, I made a mistake, and now all of a sudden I'm part of the story uh, because of the mistake that I made. You know, he, he he obviously saw and knew that he made a mistake, and there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Hell, obviously we all make mistakes. Um, but it, that was, that, was that, that, that verbiage that, you know, we're supposed to be in the background and we're not supposed to be the story that really stuck out with me as it relates to our sport. Uh, I see that. And, you know, back to my, my shooter hat, you know, pet peeve of mine is scoot your heel, you know, 3.7 centimeters to the right. So you're touching the white line more or yes, I know it, it says starting in the shooting area, but you can't have your foot on top of the fault line. Well, that's in the shooting area and uh, square your shoulders, you know, one half of a degree, Th- that type of stuff to me feels like, and I always say about them, it feels like the RO making it about them and not, you know, not about the shooter. They're there to officiate, you know, not not to be part of the story. Let the shooter compete. You as the official officiate. If I'm doing something wrong, tell me I'm doing something wrong. Otherwise, shut the hell up. I probably stole all your thunder there, but you got anything you want to add? Um, just that, that uh, I mean, uh, uh, and we talked about this a little earlier, this is not meant to be negative. None of this is meant to be negative, and, and some of what we seem to be hitting on it is, in truth, and again, we're, we're talking about USPSA and, and the rule book that we have more than the other sports, but the rule book is pretty good, and the way that they teach people how to do stuff is pretty good. And the, the, a couple of examples of, like, range officer interference. It is, it is the shooter's responsibility to shoot the course of fire. It's the range officer's responsibility to stay out of his way while he's doing it. If, if a shooter runs into a range officer, that is considered the range officer's fault. Um, you know, granted, there's ways you can game it where you can deliberately try to lurch into the range officer when you're having a bad stage. But, but by rule, the intent is to make it so that it's not about the RO, it's about the shooter. Um, the, the, the way we use is scoring overlays where we're trying to determine where the, the hit is. You, most of the good ROs will use the overlay to help give or prove that the shooter earned the higher score as opposed to using it to prove that the shooter earned the, the, the no shooter, whatever it may be. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty good set of rules with pretty good intent, but again, you're, it's a volunteer organization, and you get some people that might or might not uh, be, be there for the right reasons. I think the vast majority of people are, but you, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take very many bad calls to ruin your whole match, right? It doesn't take very many bad officials to ruin your whole opi- opinion of, of uh, match officials. Um, but again, you're, you're, it's a volunteer organization, and one of the things we, we talked about earlier was uh, this idea of paraphrasing Donald Rumsfeld. You go to war with the army you got, not the army you want. You, you run the match with the staff you've got, not the staff you want. You, there's no requirement to work major matches in order to, um, to, to, to be in our sport. Everybody that works in matches there because they want to, and they're, and they're willing to, and they're willing to, to, to endure the stress. And, and, and as you said, the, this business of 
find yourself part of the story. I can't tell you the number of times when I've had a guy come up to me saying, I've never had to DQ anybody before. That was my first time and I feel awful. And, you know, you put your hand on the, on the RO's shoulder and say, you didn't disqualify that person. They did a disqualifying event and you called them for it. It's not your fault. But the, 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 the pain or the, 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 the discomfort of a, of a good person that had to just say, you're out of the match, um, no one wants to be the guy that makes that, that call. No one should want to be the guy that makes oh, that call. Yeah, yeah. Better, better stated. <laughs> no one should want to be the guy that enjoys uh, disqualifying somebody. The good ROs I know, um, which again is a vast majority of them, they don't want the shooter to disqualify. When we build stages, when we walk through stages and we try to bulletproof them, we're like, oh, no, that's a DQ trap. Let's not do it that way. Let's not induce an error on the part of the shooter. Let's let them shoot the course of fire and not, and not be part of the story. I agree. Uh, yeah, and and you started that off with a good point too. I just want to reiterate: we're not. I'm not here to answer because I asked him to. I, I'm not here to bust on the arrows at all. I, these are questions that I had uh, as a competitor, uh, and questions that I had as a match official, as a match director. And this is a great opportunity to get somebody um, who's who's got a lot of experience, and now fresh off the educational side of the background. Um, and frankly, a lot of this stuff was questions that I wanted answers to. So on that note, um, here's a question for you. What about um, stand, standards is probably a bad word. Experience maybe is a better word for range officers. Uh, do you think, or what do you, let me state it a different way. What do you think about uh, a range officer must shoot eight activities a year? A range officer must have shot uh, two national championships. They must be a, an A-class shooter. You know, I'm just throwing this out there. Obviously, that's not realistic, but uh, – I see, and God bless them, I see a lot of brand-new shooters into the sport going to the RO course, which I recommend to everybody. Uh, I think it's a great course to get a good handle on the rules, regardless of how long you've been in the sport. Uh, but then when you jump in working matches, which is also awesome, we got to have the officials, uh, but without the experience. Just a question random. Uh, do you think there should be a standard on experience uh, in order to be a range officer, or do you think we got what we got and it's a uh, – on-the-job training kind of thing? Well, that would be a real tough yes or no answer. So um, it, it's uh, there's, there's several parts of that. One is I think it's going to be very, very difficult to – it's difficult as it is now. We're running this state match. Of the uh, 30 ROs we got working this match, we probably got 10 or so that are not level one certified. And that's – that's the reality. That's that's, and this is a level two state match. That's who volunteered. So so that it's always going to be tough to get people certified and qualified. So it's going to be tough to do. Having said that, um, what I do with what we do at the WAC is is really try to work with guys and say, don't jump in in both feet as a range official until you're until you're a proficient shooter. That I think some of the things you're 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 touching on are absolutely correct. Uh, the number of matches I've, I've worked at where an RO called two misses on a target, and I'm like, two misses and anything else? No, it's two misses. Well, did he engage that target or not? I don't know. I, it all happened so fast. Well, of course it happened fast. That was a grandmaster shooter. You, you've been shooting for three months. He did a whole bunch of stuff in a different way than anybody else did. It's easy to get lost with what, what just happened. So... What we try to do at, at, at my club is 
encourage people to become at least C-class, and I say at least C-class, and again, this is not bashing on the C and D-class shooters because that's the, that's the, the blood and bones of our sport, but be at least C-class before you say, yeah, I want to be a CRO on a stage. If nothing else, just so you've got a good sense of what's going on. The, the thing I tell people is if you're, if you're going to skip a target every time you shoot, if you're going to forget when you're supposed to do your reload when you're shooting the stage, how is it that I can be 100% certain that you're counting shots on a production shooter? How is it that you're 100% certain that somebody skipped a target or didn't skip a target? So I think the proficiency part matters. I think it's just really going to be hard to enforce going back to that volunteer thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I again, I'm jumping back and forth hats between match director and professional shooter, but uh, I certainly struggle is probably a strong word, but I mean, it's a challenge to get enough staff for every match that we run here, and I run a lot of matches. Um, so I'm very, very thankful for the staff that we have, and I think they do a great job. Obviously, in an ideal world, we got we got Budweiser money behind us, and you got professional staff, and I saw. Uh, something on the chive or something the other day, I was talking about the salaries of uh, uh, officials across the different major leagues. Holy shit, I didn't realize how much money those guys make. The, they were talking about the NFL refs that are doing the playoffs and uh, like the Super Bowl or quarter million plus, 300,000 plus uh, for however many games they work a year, 15. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, best case scenario, we, we would have something like that. So, Two-part question here. One of them we didn't talk about. We, we pre-screened some of the stuff, so we had a form of what we were going to cover here. But uh, there was a video put out by J.J. Ricaza, I think, on his Instagram a while back. And he got called for a foot fault. Uh, I think it was just a local match. I mean, it wasn't like it was a world championship or anything. But <clears throat> he got called for a foot fault, and he slowed the video down, played it back, and it was you know clearly 100% not a foot fault. Now, again, not busting on this official. J.J. is not exactly the slowest guy to compete in the sport. But part of the deal is with that experience level, and you just kind of alluded to it in terms of missing targets or, or, or incorrect number of rounds or missing a reload or something, that it's tough to see and process at the speed that a professional grandmaster shooter sees and processes. Otherwise, you would be a much better shooter. So obviously that that's a case, and that's just something we're going to have to deal with. But... Uh, and I think there was even a rule change on, on video review uh, last year or the year before, but and I don't know how we would implement it. I don't know how it would start, um, you know, or how it would work at different level matches, but just as a general thought, what do you what do you think on that in terms of, well, two-part question. Uh, should the range master be able to review a, a video of Joe Blow iPhone on the side of the road watching the stage? And second part of the question uh, do you ever see a day where the sport would have like legit video replay or or a, some type of a video review process? So I, th I think the 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 big concern is the the de delay of game thing, right? Where as a the the roles of range master and match director do intertwine. It's not completely separate, but we we overlap things. I was talking to somebody this morning about. Some people think that the match director takes over the match as soon as it starts, and the range, uh, or the, the range master takes over, and the match director's hands off. That's not the case. It's a, it's a cooperative effort all the way through, where you're trying to figure out what's the flow. And on match day for a big match, it's all about <clears throat> how fast am I processing squads through stages and shooters through stages. And if we allowed, if we 
incurred the time uh, process of, of, of video review. I mean, that's my understanding of that's the big concern. That's why video is not allowed currently to be used in arbitration uh, for 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 these things. And that if you had if you had a video review of every call, or if you had to stop and look at video for every DQ, just the delay of the game. Having said all that, um, you know, my real job, I work in the technology world, and and even though I work in that world, I am continually surprised by the the the, the transformation we make with stuff. Where uh, years ago, I was you know, working with hand-launched UAS or hand-launched what people think of as drones, and we, we were being told never in a thousand years are we going to allow those things to be flying in, in the continental United States, and I think we're, we're past that in less than a decade. So could it happen? Sure. I just, we just got to figure out how do we do it without delaying that flow of squads through stages and shooters through stages. Yeah, I concur. I guess back to that Budweiser money, if you had five uh, ESPN cameras on every stage watching every angle, it would be more fair, uh, you know. Personally, personal opinion. I think, I think it would be cool if um, it were only available in the arbitration process. And like the way I understand it, if my memory serves, is it, it, that before a, a recent, which I think was a rule change, or maybe it was just a, an advisory, but uh, it was not available in arbitration. Right. But the range master could do whatever he wanted to make, to make the rule. So if he found a video, he could watch it. And I guess they've changed that now. But I like to see it the other way. I like to see it. It is available in arbitration. You know, if you're, if you're, that, I think that would help with the flow. So now you're not slowing down anything. And if you want to pony up a hundred bucks, you know, the committee can take in whatever evidence they can get. You know, if they got a, a horse on the side of the road, saw something, and they want to talk to him, they can talk to him. And if, you know, it's a bad angle or a bad audio or whatever, and it's not usable, it's not usable. But, uh, if anybody of importance is listening to this, which is doubtful, that's the way. That's the way I'd like to see it go. I think I think that would help. You know, not slow down the flow. But then, but now are you going to have, you know, five people with an iPhone when JJ gets up there, Rob Latham gets up there, and they're nobody. covering every angles, and yeah, nobody when I get up there. So <laughs> I could, I could but, see uh, that could go bad too. But and and I I I I don't have a problem with that. That makes sense to me. What what is troubling to me is seeing stuff on social media after the match is over, yeah. you know, and, and I don't, I don't have a fix for that, but it's, it's a, that it's, you, it's our life. Right? Yeah. Well, that you brought that up. I think that's even, that's even more helps my point because now you're making official look worse. So go back to the baseball story. You know, if that guy could have seen that video right away, of course he's going to reverse the call. Officials, officials make mistakes. It's going to happen. There's not, not anything at all against them. Obviously we all make mistakes. Um, and I don't think anybody's that big of an ego. If they see they made a mistake, they say, "Oh shit, I fucked that up." Let's you know, let's correct that. Um, and now that mistake's going to happen. It's going to have to stand, even though if you know damn well it was incorrect. And now what do you do? Now that's when the social media is going to kick your ass because it's going to get out there. And even though the poor guy knows he made a mistake and would have easily corrected it if he could, uh, now it's too late to do it. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they're up for a change on that. Um, we're actually doing better on schedule than I thought. We have uh, a couple of of um, extra topics we want to cover if we had time. We have the Optics Nationals coming here in a couple of months. Uh, the USPSA Optics Nationals. I'm I'm slanging them out to the Dot Gun Nationals. Uh, <laughs> open Carry Optics and and PCC. And uh, you said you're you're working that match as well. Yeah, I volunteered to work that match. Uh, um, 
I, I shoot open. I don't have a carry optic gun and I don't have a PCC. Uh, I've got no room in the safe or no skill sets to take them on. But I'm working that match. But it's interesting topics as far as match going back to this overall arching, overarching thing of match officiation. So at my club, um, under the rules of USPSA, the, the, the newest of the divisions, the pistol caliber carbine, the way it was announced to us or the way it was announced uh, to uh, the USPSA constituency is it's still a provisional division and it's up to match directors whether or not they allow it. Well, I pulled my match directors. That is, I'm a discipline leader at that place and I've got a number of people that run those matches. Most of my match directors are pistol shooters only and they are not comfortable being around, not comfortable officiating PCC matches. So we don't, within the rules of USPSA and, and, and NROI, we don't allow uh, PCC at uh, our, our weeknight matches. The one month, you one, suck. The one match per month that I am the uh, on the hook match director for our monthly uh, uh, match, we allow it in that I am the match director for that and I am comfortable with it. But I, it's one of those delegating your subordinates. My guys aren't my pistol shooters aren't comfortable running rifle shooters, and there's and there's a lot to it. There's a lot of nuance to it where it's it's cramped bays and people aren't used to seeing, getting used to the new rules of of people ha handling guns without. A, a direct supervision, range officer, that sort of thing. So, PCC is 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 coming, and I'm not against it. And I'm I was talking to Shannon earlier today about how best to, you know, what what's the best PCC for me because I am a rifle shooter in three gun and in basic shooting people, but uh, but I don't have a PCC gun. But I'm going to get one and I'm going to shoot PCC. But it is it is not catching on in in the match official world as fast as it's catching on in the shooter world. You'd agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I shoot a lot of games and if, if you've only ever shot USPSA, there are a lot of weird, um, issues with PCC. I would agree with if you've shot, if you, if you come from three gun, it's no big deal. You know, so three gunners, they're used to waving guns around everywhere and grabbing guns out of cars and throwing them in carts and, you know, nobody gets a gun pointed at them, but there's a lot more gun handling going on. Uh, well, a whole lot more gun handling going on than you would see at a USPSA match, you know, out and about the base. So that's de definitely an issue, and it's just going to be a, a learning curve for, for officials, I think. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's an issue. And I know there's a lot of PCC haters out there, but um, the you know different shooting positions and different start positions and I don't think it's going to change the sport at all, certainly not significantly. But, um, I, you know, hopefully it'll bring some of the three-gun guys over. Hopefully it'll bring some of the tactical nerds over that are, you know, interested in shooting rifles. And and shooting rifles on a close-up tight pistol stage is, is pretty damn fun if if you like playing with rifles. Uh, on that note, so we that, that another good topic, we have the Florida State match this weekend. Uh, we designed the stages. Dan Dan wrote the um, the written stage briefings. And um, so any thoughts on, because there are, that, that's one area where I, well, we'll say you do have to have some considerations for PCC. Start positions, um, are you doing a table start? Are you hands on the wall? Are you, um, you know, facing up range? And obviously you can have different start positions for PCC, although I try to keep the match, you know, as same as possible across the board. Uh, although we're not, you know, we're not here on some stages, you can't on everything, but uh, obviously, you consider that in your in your walkthroughs, as I as I saw. So, any thoughts there? No, I, <clears throat> going part of the magic of, of uh, uh, USPSA is 
you're really shooting against the division that you're shooting in. So um, people, like you said, can become haters. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not a PCC hater. I'm just saying that, that uh, we're, it's not been in, it's not been adopted as quickly by the, the match officials as it has been by the shooters. For for this match, I don't see it as a big problem. There's there's going to be some guys probably that aren't as familiar with the PCC range commands. There is the challenge with PCC with trying to make sure you catch that last shot because of the uh, the, the muzzle being that much further away from the the, the timer. Um, I don't see it. I don't see it as being a safety issue at all in terms of. Uh, it's, it's obviously much easier to, to, to turn a pistol around and break the 180 than it is to turn a, a long gun around and break the 180. But um, the written stage briefs say, yeah, I think the, the fact that you have, to, you have to add something for a division to the written stage briefs does affect people. You know, it's like that's, that's a reason for haters to hate, right? I've, we had to change the, the, all of the classifiers for all of USPSA to include this one division. We didn't have to change any of the classifiers for carry optics or any other as, as divisions are added. So there's some resistance to change that people have. But I think the other thing is that adopting a standardized start makes sense. I think I saw something either on uh, USPSA or, or, or somewhere where people are talking about people talk about port arms and, and, and uh, low ready. That doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Now, there's a pretty good description of that in uh, the best practices in that, that USPSA put out, but, but it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Uh, I agree, and I don't. And I don't think it's an issue. I mean, if you can, if you can make a small modification to the start position to to have it not affect PCC, cool. And if not, like you got a brain start or something, then PCC is just different. That's just the way it is. And and everybody's within the same division. I'm uh, going to wrap up here a little bit. One thing I wanted to let Dan touch on: there are um, the, the the local club that he's at, the Wyoming Wyoming Antelope Club, which is in Clearwater, Florida. That's a whole other story. Uh, used to be my home club. I used to live 10 minutes from there in Tampa, and it's a super, super active club. They have, um, I'm sure there's a couple of clubs like this around the country, but I mean, there's just a ton, ton, ton of shooting around there. You know, when I started the game uh, in the 90s, late 90s, and this may have just been the club that I was at, but you couldn't go to a match unless you went through their safety brief, and that was a whole separate day. That wasn't even the match day, so you had to, you know, drive out, show up at the range on a whole, totally different day. Some volunteer came out there, spent time with you. Showed you some gun handling, ran you through like a little mini stage or something, as I remember, and then kind of blessed you off as as you're good to hook. Uh, but Dan has started, uh, I don't know what you call it, clinic or new shoot or something. Action but pistol, what we call it. So I'll let you. I want to let you touch on that a little bit. And, and it's not mandatory, as I understand, but just you know why you do it and and the benefits, uh, how you see it, it helping out newer shooters. So it yeah it is it's interesting and it's when I started at WAC. We didn't have it, and we, we were very active. And what we were experiencing was people would want to come out and shoot their first match, and they'd shoot their first match for about four or five shots, and they'd hear stop, unload, and show clear. You know, you broke the 180, or you had your finger in the trigger when you were moving. And that's, that's no way to do business. That's not how you grow the sport is by culling half your new shooters on the first night that they shoot. So um, I certainly wasn't. You know, I, I was I was part of the the team that put it together, but it was at that time it was Kibbert, Jay Corn, uh, and myself put together a a, uh, a rough POI, and that was probably three years ago. It was, it's interesting, is it? You know, in the local local crowd, Trent Charon, who's right now one of our top shooters at the WAC, was in the first introduction pistol class that we ever. He was our one of our our first uh, students, but we run it once a month. Um, 
the the program of instruction is one that we kind of came up with where we talk about um, the, the philosophy of action sports and the rules and, and we, we hammer the safety stuff because especially if you come from a military law enforcement background when you talk about the 180 degree rule they look at you funny so trying to explain all that to people that are even if they're the, the assumption is you know how to handle a firearm you just need to learn our game um, so we started doing that and it's been very successful and the other thing we did uh, about two years ago, we started tying that to a clinic for our junior shooters. So we got a pretty active uh, junior shooter program at our place. And, and you know, we brag on some of the, 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 the kids, the young folks that came out of WAC, um, Jason Katz and Seth Clagg. And there's there's some more that are coming up now that you're going to start seeing. Yeah, um, those guys are World Shoot team members. Yeah. And those guys started shooting at our, at our club. So what we what we do is at the same day we do our introduction and pistol class, we run our junior shooter clinic, and we generally have the the youngest girl available do the demonstration for the new shooters to show them that uh, um, um, the awesomeness of, of of action shooting. Where a where a twelve year old girl is, and we'll tell them this this twelve year old girl is an action shooter, and she's gonna she's gonna shoot this stage the way that you guys can hope to someday, and uh, we do that as part of our introduction and pistol class. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a way to kind of give back and it's a way to kind of make it so that when people shoot their first match, the intro class is a way to make it so when they shoot their first match, a lot of the pressure of the disqualification thing is, is over with and they've at least had a timer held over their head. They've at least had somebody give them range commands. They've run with a hot gun in their hand before they had to do it um, at, a, at a real match. And so it's, it's, a, it's a nice break-in kind of thing that we do. I'm, 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 that's, to me, one of the best things we do is our intro class combined with our junior clinic, um, same day. Cool, man, good stuff. That's uh, probably a great template and game plan to follow for clubs around the country to get people involved, and that's growing the sport at the grassroots. About to wrap up, man, you got uh, anything you want to throw in there, any alibis? No, I, I, I think just, you know, in the theme of the match officiate, and, and, and as, as we say, we are self-officiate. I mean, we are, we are shooters running other shooters and one of the things that we tell people in the new guy class is the guys that are running you are competitors and they're trying to to win this match and at the same time they're running you for the for the vast majority for the most part ROs are not out to DQ people they're not out to give procedurals they're trying to uh, enforce the rules and and I I would much rather shoot a well-officiated fairly officiated USPSA match than an outlaw match where Maybe you can get away with that, and maybe you can get away with that. We're not too worried about your safety. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the strict set of rules we have um, because, for the most part, the volunteers that are doing it are trying to keep the shooter in the match and trying to make sure that everybody has a safe, fair, uh, fun time. Cool, dude. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate you coming by. Uh, definitely uh, – a uh, service to listeners, get a little bit on the other side of the house from the things I normally talk to. So I'll wrap it up for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Got uh, season is kicking off. If you live outside of the frozen tundra, we've got the Florida State this week. Uh, Florida, well, Thrigan Nation in two weeks is here, the Southeast Regional. Florida Open right for that. And uh, Optics Nationals a month after that. And then Area 6 Multigun a month after that. So plenty of matches coming out this way. Come down and shoot with us. Remember, you can always find me on Facebook, Shannon Smith Shooting. Hit the website, also Shannon Smith Shooting. Follow me on Instagram and hit me up with your questions. And guess any topics you guys want me to talk about or guests you want me to have on, let me know.
See you on the range.